0: Uh, the elders that are here, would you stand, please? Do we have any more of you that are here? I just think you need to say thank you for the hard work they have done these last months. They have been unbelievable. It has been so amazing. We're very grateful, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our time in James. Hopefully, if Bill learns how to open his, his little thing here. So we're going we're gonna to continue in James where Pastor Jeff left off. We're going to be doing verses in chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Now, the interesting part of this is that my brother said, Oh, by the way, Bill, the good part about resisting temptation is for you. (laughs) Well, he was. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I laughed, too. So anyways, this morning, we're going to be looking at that. It's an interesting letter because this letter is from a man to people. Who were part of his congregation? See what we don't know about Pastor James sometimes is that he was the pastor of the church um, in Jerusalem, and many times when a lot of um, disharmony—I guess you would put it—took place in Jerusalem during this time in like 40 A.D., we we found out that it wasn't always easy for him, but he was never afraid. He never shied away. He never. In fact. This letter was written by these people knew him as Pastor James or James the Just. Sometimes they called him camel knees because he spent so much time in prayer. You hear all of the pastors say that to you every time because to us, that's an amazing thing. I don't know that we have that stamina in our knees to be able to do that, especially at my age now. Maybe when I was younger, it's possible. So once he became a follower of his half-brother Jesus, his older brother, It wasn't until Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection and Jesus came to him and said, James, what are you doing? It's time. And from that moment on, James knew who his older brother was. And the the amazing thing of that was before then, it was like there was a time when James wanted to tell his family, hey, guess what? Jesus is down there speaking to people in the court in front of everybody. And he's kind of like embarrassing the family. We need to get him out of there. Who does he think he is, God? (laughs) Well, yeah, but... (laughs) So it was hard to do that. And and James became known for his wisdom. His wisdom was what preceded him. He knew how to answer questions that were difficult. Sometimes they were enigmas, and, and James knew this. And when James spoke, people listened. Just like in the book of Acts, in the 15th chapter there at the Jerusalem Council, when they're trying to decide whether or not Paul and Barnabas are doing the right thing by the way they're teaching new Christians, it was James who stood up and said, look, if God is standing there telling him what to say and do and people are coming to know Jesus, we need to leave them alone. So it was James was g- gave a big spoken word there. Now, So we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. If you're using those Bibles that are in front of you, the paper ones, it's on page 1216 is where we're going to be. If you want to take those Bibles home, please feel free to do so because that's what they're for. So let's look at, I'm reading from the NIV, which is what those Bibles are in the chairs. So believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Since they will pass away like a flower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. One of the issues that we have heard many years throughout the church is that people with a lot of money were bad and people with no money are good. And in fact, at this point, when James is telling people that they need to boast in their humiliation, we need to take pride in this. We need to boast. And in both sides. So he tells the poor man, he says, you can be thought of, he says, as you boast as a in your lowly position. Lowly in the original language to the people who would have received this letter. It was like, uh, not just of less circumstances, but those who also were were Basically, I guess I want to say I want to say in the original language, they were less lowly and, and thought of lesser by means, and the, my brain just shut off on me and I don't know why. So they're high position. then at the same time he tells the rich men to, to be in humiliation in their circumstances, to boast in their humiliation. So you have... The poor people boasting in their lowly, their high position as a lowly person. You have the rich man that's supposed to be boasting in their humiliation. How can this be? How can both both circumstances be boasting? And this took a bit of study. And, and those of you that have been a part of my Revelation study during the weeks and all of that stuff. And yes, that will continue later. I realize mentioning that. Everybody's asking when it's going to continue. We'll let you know when it's going to start up again. But the word humble in this place. First the. The man of humble circumstances. It can be seen through the eyes of the readers that received James's letter. Whenever I look at Bible study, context is the big deal for me. Once we understand the writer of whatever scripture we're looking at, how he meant it for the people who received it, the message he was giving them at the time they received it, that is where we want to look at to get our lessons. Does that make sense to you? I hope so you understand that, okay? So the, the person that, in, in these humble person, it doesn't have a great financial means. He, he's meek, uh, self-demeaning appearance sometimes. And in that position, when James is telling them to boast in that, they're telling them that God has his eye on you, even in those situations. So when it becomes the day before a bill is due and you don't know if you're going to have the money, God is still there. So if it comes to where that all of a sudden you realize, I don't know that I have the things to do what I want and I need to do, God is still there. He never leaves us or forsakes us. In fact, he tells them that there is hope in Almighty God who loves unconditionally and promises a crown of life for those who love him. So it sounds like to me, and we're going to get to this in a minute, it's all about faith, isn't it? And in contrast, then James talks about the rich man should boast in his humiliation. Why humiliation? Again, we see that the the people who receive the letter would understand this as something different than we may in the 21st century. The person of wealthy means has a choice. They can trust in their wealth and so believe they have no need of God. That's very possible. Or, they can take the thought of being blessed by God. With these means in a humble, unpretentious, and gratefulness of God, for God's blessing. Thus realizing they can lose those blessings at any point in time. So to boast or rejoice in their blessings of God, they will quietly, and with God's blessing, use their means, their position to bless others because I have a foundation that feeds people and stuff, and you all know this. We've seen many times where an anonymous a, a donor will give us money and say, use this for a family in need or something like that, not realizing that just the day before, and my wife and I can tell you how many times in the last 10 years this has happened. It's hundreds of times, all of a sudden, a need, a, a, a donation comes in, and we look at it, and we go, well, okay, so what is this going to be for? Two days later, I'll hear of a need, a great need that needs to be met immediately, and all of a sudden, it's like God said, oh, yeah, Bill, hey, when that need comes in, would you use this for that, please? Now, see, I always say, God, it would be really good if you told me first. He <laughs> doesn't always do that, just so you know. I don't get to know either, just so you're wondering. There are times when I don't get to know a lot of things God is going to do. He does it, and then I look up and go, well, wow, that's cool, what are we going to do next? <laughs> Sometimes I have to wake up in the morning to see what I'm going to do next. The person of wealthy means then when they get that and they do it, they are blessed by others. And I love when I let the donor know, just so you know, you did something, you answered the call of God in a way that is so amazing and unbelievable. God used you to save a life. Most of the time that makes people cry, which I get accused a lot of making people cry. Because I tell them how God is using them. And every single one. And I'm not talking about a lot of money. Sometimes it's $20. Sometimes the donation was $10. But it was something that was very much needed. God knows and provides these blessings for both. God knows where each need is. He knows it before we even ask for it. And the Bible tells us that. So let's move on and and look at uh, the 12th verse. Uh, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres. Persevering is kind of a scary word sometimes at moments, isn't it? Because persevering usually means There's something to be persevering through. Now, I may not feel like I'm persevering at this moment, but when I get a message that I need to persevere, that means that something is coming that I need to persevere for. I hope I didn't confuse you as much as I did me. So when we get to each one of us, we look at, for instance, let's let's just look at the last two years for this world, for the country, for each of us. We have persevered through, through some amazing things in the last you know, 36 months, haven't we? This country, this world was hit by circumstances that were unbelievable to us. And we did some persevering that's been un- unprecedented in all time. Amen? Because we all know and feel that that persevering. We all knew what it was like. We have watched each other go through some of the hardest times of our lives. And I'm not going to dwell on this because it doesn't need any further exploration but i just want to look at that word persevere for a minute when james wrote these words to this group of believers they were in dispersion so these people were not having it easy they were not living in their homes some of them were living in the caves in the hills because of domitian nero some of the the evil emperors that were there doing torturous things to christians and it was an amazing moment to think that we're getting a letter from our pastor that says Blessed is the man who perseveres. I don't feel like persevering, Pastor. I want to win. As his readers read this word persevere in their language, here's what came into their mind. Because sometimes in the original languages, the words mean different things. So to us, it may mean just standing strong or being tough and, and, and holding out. But here's what they heard. Remain faithful, stay in place, Endure when others go away. Let's do that again. Remain faithful. Stay in place and endure when others go away. (laughs) Wow. As those words resonate, you can feel God's blessing in it because and and as we we do that when others go away part especially it makes god smile beloved here's the thing god sees all the battles that you are in every day he doesn't miss one it's not like something happens down here you know to my brother glenn nothing happens down here and god goes i didn't see that coming you know god knows He sees that. He watches you struggle and stay faithful. He knows your heart. And yes, (laughs) the hard part is that he even sees us when we fall down or lose sight of him and make a bad decision. But God in his mercy, (laughs) strength, his grace, watches you as you slowly get up off of your bruised knees, tired from working to endure when others go away. And he puts his loving arms around us. He puts his arms around you and says, with love and care, I see you. Let me carry this burden. And you, as long as you persevere, as long as you hold on, as long as you endure when others go away, (laughs) you will get the crown of life because I love you and I know you love me. That's who our God is. Or God answers us in that way. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. This was a couple of the hardest verses. This one and the next one. Because I'll tell you why. It's a sobering thought that all sin traces back to our own sinful nature. The word that James uses a lot is lust. Lust is defined as a sinful craving. Not a good craving. The deep root of it, if you would like to know, is how the readers are are hearing this, is it's evil desire that is within you. Because when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that instilled a knowledge inside humankind that God did not intend for us to possess. However, by God placing that tree where he did with Adam and Eve, he gave humankind free will. By choosing to walk with God and not give in to the evil desires of the flesh, we show a greater love for God and his son Jesus, which then is the greatest love of all because it is chosen and not forced upon us. God has the power to make us love him, no doubt about that. But he doesn't. He gives us free will. And we get to choose when we we want to follow him. When we show gratitude through praise and prayer to God, it makes him smile. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. He loves to dwell in that fellowship with every single one of us. To me, that is so cool. That is just cool. Language of my generation, sorry. That is just so cool that we can, we can do that. Now, let's talk about the process of sin. Because in one verse... God tells you exactly how sin works. (sighs) I didn't like this verse, just so you know. But God doesn't take it out when I don't like it. I'm trying to figure out why. Verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In this verse, James gives us a formula for the fearful process of sin. I call it fearful because it can sneak up on you when you least expect it, you know. I mean, there are times when we're not expecting it and it just kind of sneaks up on us and it's there. Our enemy Satan knows just how to tempt us, interrupt us in our daily lives Although he is never stronger than Almighty God. We know that when you read the end of the book, go to Revelation 19 through 22, you'll find out real quick in the end, guess what? (laughs) God wins. But he seeks to tempt us and permission, but he is never stronger than God Almighty, and the evil one has to have permission to do his ugliness in our lives. This includes permission from God but it also includes permission from us, from me, from you. If we are strong, we stay close to God, we know his word, we pray in his name. The enemy has no stronghold on us. He can't win. At any point in this process that you're looking at, that we're going to talk about in just a second, any part of this process, the enemy can be stopped. Amen? Amen? Wait, 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 wait. The enemy can be stopped. Amen? Amen. Thank you very much. I need that to be. If you don't learn anything else today or remember anything about today, please remember the enemy can be. Say this with me. The enemy can be stopped. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is no way he can win. So let's work through this process. Just verse 15. When desire or lust is conceived... Let's do that one, the conception. How does this happen? Could be a picture. Could be a person. Could be an object. It can be a trigger of any kind that can conceive lust. You know, a friend's car, a friend's best house, the girl in the bikini, the guy in the short shorts with all the muscles. All of those things can be triggers. I heard many pastors, when they talk about giving in to temptation, they say things like, Guys, it's not the first look that gets you in trouble. What is it? Very good. It's the second. Well, that was, somebody's up there going, it's the second, the third, the fourth. She's right. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. And that's when conception takes place. It's the second look and the third and the fourth. I love that. Thank you. I just stole that from my sermon. Then as we think about it more, we give it gestation, we give it growth, we give it fertilizer and want it to grow because we let it sink in and we let it build up and the desire grows stronger, doesn't it? Then sin is accomplished. And the sad part of sin is that in the reproduction of the sin, James says, it brings forth death. As we look at that word death, we may, not, we may think of it means physical death. But the worst death in James' mind is not physical death. It is spiritual death. That's the one that costs you the most. Most of the time, our guilt is the way we recognize some level of spiritual death, don't we? We feel a heaviness, a pressure, or sorrow in our soul. It's our conscience that's there. You know the conscience is a funny thing. Because sometimes it says to me it says, "Hey Bill, you need to stop eating that. Don't keep eating more of your favorite food. It's not good for you." Stupid conscience. I didn't want to know now. I want you to tell me later on other stuff. Don't bother me when I want my second double cheeseburger with extra cheese anyways. But I'll get over it. And I'm not bitter about it at all, can you tell? And it says, <laughs> that's right. And then it's been said when we do something not wise, we sear our conscience. You've heard that before. Searing your conscience is a burn. That burn is equated with some level of death in our spirit. Death in our spirit is, is, is tough, especially when we internalize it. I do a lot of training of people, of mentors and, and do people to help people on the streets and stuff. And one of the medical conditions that show that we, when we get depressed due to guilt, we develop a condition called dysthymia. Dysthymia is that condition that's just before depression. And then once depression comes in, there's a lot of illnesses that come from having deep, deep depression. And all of this can be avoided all spiritual death can be avoided by one single word anybody know the word well geez that's a great one how about no how about saying no to sin how about saying no to temptation how about saying no to lust and above all how about saying no to the enemy of our hearts because every person that God created, and we were created by God Almighty, the enemy wants to take our hearts above all else. And when that happens, we want to say no. The amazing part about, one of the amazing parts about scripture study for me is this. How God gives us great messages from his heart in very small pieces. We can get a little four or five or six or seven phrase scripture. Just one verse maybe. And it gives us a great message. For instance, in this chapter, in these verses, in between the thoughts of of blessing of being rich and poor, the great promise of persevering in times of hardship and struggle, and even in between the definition and the process of how the enemy uses sin to take our hearts from a loving God, He gives us verse 16. Verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. That's simple. Don't be deceived. There's so much in that verse, I thought I could base this whole sermon on this. And they don't have anywhere to go for two hours, so I could do that and we'd be just fine but I'm not going to do that. But I do want to share this to you. In these eight words, he says this, do not be deceived. And what is he talking about here? Does he mean don't be deceived from the first part of verses, from the latter part of verses? What about Which, which section of, versions, of verses is he talking about? Don't be deceived about this. Don't be deceived. Which ones? And so here's your answer for all of those questions about which part he's talking about. Yes. All of them. He's talking about all of them. He means don't be deceived in all of them. The last verse, all the verses before, everything. But let's reverse the two pieces of this whole verse right here. So we have, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Let's reverse that. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. When he says, my dear brothers and sisters, to us that means a nice greeting, right? You realize that when when he wrote these words, he used one single word that would have told them that they are more important to him than life itself. When he says, my dear brothers and sisters, the word there is agape, agapas. He's trying to tell them that I love you so much, my dear ones. I'm holding you close and I have a warning for you. Don't be deceived notice he doesn't say don't get deceived don't let deceive come to you don't don't be deceived being deceived means that we have a choice in that deceiving guess what the word is no i'm going to get you guys to say it one of these times but that's where it is. It's, it's, that's what he wants you to do. When he says, don't be deceived, he's saying, do not be led astray, dear ones. Don't let the enemy take your heart. Don't let the enemy sneak up on you because as soon as you see that sneaking, do something about it. Stand up. Say no. Say, I'm not doing this. No. Somebody's walking towards you that looks amazing and you start to look at that and you're going to think, oh no, turn around and go the other way. Repent means to turn 180 degrees. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to repent of temptation when it comes towards you, say no, turn around and walk away. What's the word? (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. They can be taught. Because when we get to the point of saying no to sin and yes to God, Oh my goodness, that crown of life part that we're going to see at the end of our lives is amazing, but then the blessings that happen. I had a dear friend once. She came from a very wealthy family. And one year at the beginning of the year, she said to me, Bill, here's just want you to know this year I'm going to outgive God. I told her, I said, Marsha, good luck with that. Let me know how that goes for you, will you? I'm thinking, you know, the God that has all the things, and here's her with her. She has a wealthy family and they have lots of money. But I'm thinking to myself, you realize you're a drop in the bucket to God, right? And she said to me, No, I'm an outgiving this year. And she did. Ministries, people, anybody that had a need, and nobody ever knew where it came from. Right after Thanksgiving dinner at the end of that year, I said, Hey Mark, how's it going with that outgiving God thing? She goes, Well, you know. And then, no, I don't know. What, what? She'd say, Well, God still went, what? Okay, God is still winning. I keep getting blessed more than I give. That's where God is when he sees faithfulness. That's who he is. I'm not making you a promise that it's because you're not always going to be perfect. We're, I'm not teaching a prosperous gospel or anything. What I'm telling you is that staying faithful to him makes you stronger. Amen? Amen. Amen. It does. And that's where it comes from. But then at the end of that verse... 15 and 16 then we get to verse 17 after the warning James gives us the why here's why you want to say no to sin verse 17 and 18 every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let me ask you this. Do you ever wonder about gifts you receive sometimes at Christmas or holidays or just for some reason? All of a sudden you get a wrapped package with your name on it and it's all exciting and stuff. And it's great because then you get excited about unwrapping that gift, right? And then you look at it and you start opening the gift. And you're standing there and you're opening. Everybody's watching you open it. What, what is it? We don't know sometimes what's in those boxes. And dads and moms, especially on Mother's Day and Father's Day when the kids were little. Yeah, I have all the ties that light up and sing. and Yeah, I got all of those too. And then you have to wear them proudly to big events. Dad, you're not wearing your tie. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But James says that when you receive something that is so perfect and so good and so needed and unexpected, you can be sure that it's your heavenly Father had a hand in it. God makes sure that That thing which you need to have just, just if nothing else, to lift your spirit. And it doesn't have to be anything big. Of course, if anybody gave me a 1970 Dodge Challenger with a 426 Hemi engine, I wouldn't argue. I'd be okay with that. I haven't received one in 40 years yet, even though I've been asking for it. So anyway, but when you see this, God knows what you severely need. Even in moments you may get a little card, you may just get a flower, you may just get something small, but all of a sudden you know that God and this person is thinking of you. I'm going to give you this for free. It wasn't in the original, but I'm going to add it anyways. If you ever are in your prayer time or at home just doing anything and a friend or a family member or somebody comes into your mind that Maybe you haven't talked to in a while. They need to hear from you. God is telling you, give them a call. Please pick up the phone and just say something like, hey, I was just thinking about you. Are you doing okay? I have news for you. I would love to hear when you do that. And how I can guarantee you nine times out of ten, they're going to be shocked that you called them. How is it that you knew? And you tell them that God told me that I needed to speak with you. Now, don't be surprised if you make them cry. Because at that point, they realize their Heavenly Father is thinking about them also. And if you ever get those phone calls, don't be afraid to say, Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Can you pray for this with me? Honor that. Honor that moment from God when He says, hey, you are so important to me, I want you to know that I'm not the only one that cares about you, but others around you do. Your brothers and sisters want to hold you up. So even though you don't know what was severely needed, God did. The reference in this verse to the Father of heavenly lights, what he's telling you is that the God of all power of the universe cares about every one of us. And make sure that you understand that where every special gift comes from, it comes from Him. Many times, it's all like I said, it's always, God uses the people around you and the special friends on this earth to do that. Then at the end of verse 17, He says, He does not change like shifting shadows. God never changes. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then to finish this exhortation, James gives us proof of God's love for each of us individually. Now, I know there's debates on whether or not people are born for a purpose. I'm here by mistake. Well, I can tell you today that I found out when I was 35 that I was a mistake. And my mother had a choice to uh, have an abortion or have a blind baby born to her. Well, I'm standing before you, so I'm hoping that tells you what she chose. But God knew what I was going to do at the age of 65 before she did. That's why when I read verses like this, I take them very personally, because this, God chose this. And it says in verse 18, when it says that in there, and it says, God chose He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits. God chose you to be born for such a time as this. The creator of the universe would would choose to place someone like me on this and for his purpose is astounding to me and sometimes I don't understand it. Sometimes I don't get it. There's enemies of our hearts, of course, who who would have me believe and have us all believe that we have no value. That we don't, you know, God does not have time or, or want us or we're not important enough for him to worry about. But James tells us, as well as Psalm 139, and you can look that one up later. God chose to give you birth. And not just that. But that you might be first fruits to us that aren't probably a lot of farmers that live in Costa Mesa around here to farmers. The first fruits of the crop are always the cleanest, the best, the freshest, because it's brand new fertilizer. The crops are brand new. Everything is brand new. In the Old Testament, when the, when the farmers of the Old Testament were told by God, take a tenth of your crops and bring them into the storehouse and store, save those for later. But they must be the first fruits. And the farmers are all thinking, yeah, but that's the best stuff I got. I could get a lot of money for that. So when God calls all of you first fruits of his creation, you're the best of the best. How many of us can look in the mirror and say, I'm the best of the best? (laughs) I look at that guy in the mirror and think, that's the best you can do? Not always do we believe we're the best. But there's a scripture that tells us one thing. Man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the, the inside at the heart. That's very good. I heard them all. That's wonderful. Yeah, you're getting it. as we are the first fruits, as we, become, as we become and work towards being the first fruits, we want to know what it's like to be the best of all he created. It's not what you do. It's not how hard you work. It's not how much, it's more about that you say no and let God do it with you. Amen? Amen. Because when God does it, Oh my goodness, then we stand back in awe and we get weak in the knees because did that really happen? Folks, I can tell you that 10 years ago when Kathy and I sat in our bedroom and labeled a ministry called Fresh Beginnings Ministries, we had no idea. We thought if we could help 100 people a month, it would be wonderful. Yeah, well, God's math and my math don't match sometimes. He took it and went crazy, but my point just is this. When you let God do it, he does it bigger better and more amazing than we ever could. Allow him to do that in your life. Allow him to take what you have, even if it's this big. Because whatever starts this big, like a mustard seed, what happens to that mustard seed? Have you ever seen a mustard plant? They're massive. They grow huge from this little dinky seed. That's why Jesus uses that analogy. If you have that faith, it's going to grow into this. That's all you need is holding on to who God is and what He does. So let's do a final recap, because we're going to look today at this section. At this letter from James the Justice, it's been an amazing time. We received the lesson of what it means, first, to be rich and poor, in the world's eyes, as well, but more importantly, what it means in God's eyes. And the reward for those who show God's love in whatever position we're in, you get to see that. And then we see the process of temptation and sin and how we have the choice to say yes or no. We can refuse the sin, the right to cause spiritual death, even in times of weakness. God in his perfect power hears our plea for forgiveness even when we fall down. Because it's not the falling down as much that concerns God, But it is the getting back up. You know, you've ever seen those movies when the the soldier, the winning guy, the the good guy is always, he's beat down, he's beat down. And he looks like he's never going to get up. And then as slowly as he stands, the music changes in the movie and you can tell that a big, powerful fight and victory is coming. That's how it works with God. The enemy thinks he's winning. You're knocked down, and we're down on my knees, and all of a sudden I get weary from the battle. There are days when I get weary too, and I'm down, and I'm thinking, Lord, I don't know if I can keep going, but I slowly get up off my knees, and I get up from the battle, and the enemy thinks he's winning, and God reaches over and says, Psst, hey, demons, slow down. And as you start to get up and you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, they begin to tremble. And they know what's coming. Because no longer is it Bill trying to fight them. Bill's too weak. So Bill says, God, do what you got to do. They hate that. The worst words in the demon's eyes is, Jesus, take the wheel. They hate that. You want to start winning some battles? Say no to sin. Say no to temptation. And when you fall down, goll- get up and then turn it over to him. Say, Lord, I failed at trying to do this myself. Take it over and do it yourself. I don't know everybody's circumstances here today. I don't know where you stand in your spiritual walk. I don't know about at home where you stand. And I'm wondering if today there is something that you understand about a spiritual battle that's going on around you 24-7. I'm wondering if you understand what it means to be in holding on to the hand of the Savior of the world. If you don't, today's the day. See, when God does this, he loves his creation so much that he joined, in the Gospel of John, he tells us, God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Will not. Do you have the strength today to come and begin that relationship with the Lord Jesus if you have not already done so? Maybe there's some prayers because you've been struggling and there's some prayers that you need to be taken. I'm going to ask Randy, D, if you guys will come up and come on each side. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And and what I'm going to tell you is this, that this is the place to start. We'll be up here in the front. I'll be up here in the middle. If you just want to come up and have prayer, if there is a moment that you want to receive Jesus Christ, now is the time. Don't let anything stop you. If you simply just need prayer for some things going on in your life, we're up here. We would love for you to pray with us. We're happy to pray with you. I love you all dearly. Studying the book of James will not always be the most easy sermons and messages, but it will be the most solid and promising. So hang with us. Endure when others go away, and you will know that. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father how we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful that you you inspired Pastor James to give us these words of what it means to say no to the enemy who would take our hearts. So Father, we just ask this day, I ask that you would bless everyone here. Let them hear your voice. Let them feel your arms around them when they need strength. May they give you honor and glory when it's time to do so. But most of all, Lord, we just come seeking you and giving you honor and glory for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: When I look into your holy gaze into your
2: loveliness
1: when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you when I found the joy of reaching your heart when my will becomes enthroned in your love when all around become shadows in the light of you
2: I worship you I worship you
1: the
0: Thank you all for being this, whole, this morning with us. We're so glad to have you with us. We've got a few things coming up. If you do have people we're asking about tithes and offerings, we have the boxes in the back. You can put them in there. If you have prayer cards and you wanted to write down a prayer request to us, please also put those in those and we pray for those every week. We are so glad that you came here to join us this morning. Next week, Rod Randall will be coming to share with us. He's going to continue on James and take the verses after verse 18. So just come to be blessed some more. It's going to be, I've met with Rod, and it's a good guy. He's okay. We're going to be all right with him around here. I'm not going to tell you he's here this morning, but that's okay. It's going to be a great time together. So I just wish and pray for you all this week. If there's questions you have, as Randy said, anything that you want to know, please feel free to call us. Call myself this week and the next two weeks. Jeff is gone, but I'll be here. Or call, we can talk to any one of the elders. They'll be in the back there, too, if you wish to talk with them this morning. God bless you, and may you have a great week. Love you all.